0: With the biblical response, when we're treated badly, here's Pastor Ed
1: Ray. Always pursue what is good for both yourself and other people. Wish the highest good for the other person. That's a choice. It's not a warm, cuddly feeling. It's a decision to do the best thing for the other person. But it starts out with, don't render evil for evil. Don't pay back evil for evil. Do not return evil by exchanging more evil to anyone.
0: With hands and in this place, gotta dwell with man. Sick beal be and the cripple stand, singing hallelujah. My kingdom filled with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I say, let this world know me by your love. Perhaps you feel like the Christian response is not only counterintuitive, but also impossible to do. And if so, you're not alone, and not unbiblical in your thinking. Indeed, it is impossible, and it certainly goes against our nature. But God will give us a new nature and the power to do what He's called us to do. Hello and welcome to Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray, our weekend edition. We continue in 1 Thessalonians, and today we'll encounter four impossible commands. To be loving all the time, To be joyful all the time, prayerful all the time, and be thankful all the time. That's impossible, but becomes possible in the New Covenant. Beginning with the command not to retaliate, but instead to be loving. From 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 13, here's Pastor Ed.
1: Live peaceably with everyone. That's not easy. Of course it's not easy. I love Romans twelve, eighteen. If it is possible, as far as depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As much as you are able, another translation says, live at peace. I like it because that means you can do everything on your side of the street you can, but they have to reciprocate. And sometimes they don't. And so you don't have a responsibility beyond doing what you need to do to keep a good relationship. Be at peace among yourselves. Love your leaders, that's what he's saying. Now he speaks to loving one another, it gets a little tougher. Now, we exhort you, encourage you, brothers, brethren, brothers and sisters, Adelphos, warn those who are unruly, confront the faith-hearted, uphold the weak, and be patient with all. I confess to you, I've read that many times, And this time, I felt like I I, I didn't understand all of this, so I began to take it apart. Warn those who are unruly. Some of your translations say idlers. Another translation says those who are lazy. I don't believe that's the correct translation. That's the later use of the Greek word. Initially, it meant anyone who was disorderly, rebellious, out of order. We've all been there before. The idea is to encourage them to avoid their misdirected course in life to be available to help them. When you see a believer not doing well, how do you respond? Well, that's their own problem, I'm leaving it alone. That's not what Paul is saying here. You have to get involved. Sometimes we don't want to. It's hard, particularly when they look at you like you've lost your mind, right? Instead of being short and cutting them off, listen. Listen carefully, the pressures that they're under. We don't know what another person is under until we walk a mile in their moccasins sort of thing. Oftentimes, people that appear to be very strong are not strong, and they're struggling with difficult things. And and then when you've listened, then caution them what you've learned in your own life. Don't be afraid to talk about your failures. Heaven knows I talk about them all the time up here. And and that helps people. They they understand you don't think you're perfect. You just have made all the mistakes that they don't want to make. And then they can learn from that. Comfort, the second one. Comfort, the faint-hearted. Faint-hearted is a great Greek word. It means small-souled, S-O-U-L-E-D, a person with a small soul. Some people are fragile is what this is saying. You know them, I know them. Some people have a story that they became fragile because of a childhood or an early life struggle. But others are just born that way. They have a a natural tendency to be more reticent in life. Others come out of the womb boldly, (laughs) and they're still bold to this day, right? But the fragile ones are easily overlooked by the world. The retiring person keeps their head down and their eyes focused on the ground and we miss an opportunity to be helpful to them. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, strengthen those who are fragile. This sounds very much like Jesus. We looked at it a while back, Matthew 12:18. That's that story where Jesus is sitting and he's reading from Isaiah about himself. The line that really jumps out is, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering flax he will not quench, verse 20. It's used, this bruised reed, as a metaphor. Obviously, he's talking about people. He's talking about that person that gets bent over, you know, reeds along a river. Think bamboo, small bamboo, and, and kids break through it, and, and they break one off. Well, Why not? There's tens of thousands of shoots of reeds. Why not break off people? There's millions. There's billions of people, a bruised person, God will not cut off. That's an amazing statement about who Jesus is. And you can see it when you go through his life, he did it over and over again. Life is messy, things happen we didn't plan for, they overwhelm us, and we become bruised by someone or something or a disease or an accident. And and then the world tends to go right on by, keep on going, not God, he stops. And he wants to shore up that bent reed, strengthen you. He wants to use you to strengthen others that are in that condition. The second one, a smoldering flax he will not quench is, is a picture of a, that little oil lamp, You know, kind of like an Aladdin's lamp with a wick sticking out of linen or flax, and they put oil in it, and it burns And Not very efficient, no electricity. They had no idea of how expensive it could be to light your home. <laughs> and When the oil goes low, starts to smoke, runs out, just the wick itself is on fire. And it just glows with a little ember, kind of like a fireplace going out. And that's a person who at one time, they were doing well in the Lord. They were on fire for God, even it suggests. Then something happened. Again, life is hard. And you didn't expect that thing to happen that did. And people will pass you by step on the wick not God he blows on that ember to build it back to strengthen how does he do that through you that's what Paul is saying that you and I have an opportunity to do that for other people example of that uh, jumps out to me is the woman caught in adultery you remember the story and these religious zealots trying to trap Jesus, set this woman up and then bring her and say she's caught in adultery, they're all carrying rocks, they're ready to stone her to death. And what do you say, Jesus? He doesn't say anything. He's writing in the dust. We think he was writing their sins, made them embarrassed. And then he said, whoever is without sin, take the first shot. And they dropped the rocks and went away. He saw something in that woman. He didn't condone her sin. He said, woman, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. The son of man didn't come to condemn, but to give life. He saw in her a person made in the image of God that had made a mistake. We're too quick to write people off that make mistakes. Uphold the weak. It keeps going. That sounds like the same thing. It's a little bit different lay hold of, it literally says the weak, cling to them, give them special attention, let the strong put their arms around the weak, another translation says, and hold them up. Now, this word weak can mean either infirm, somebody that's sick or or injured, or a person weak in faith. This is probably because of the context Paul is talking about those who are weak in faith, those who are new Christians, and then they get sucked off into sin, And the church historically has so easily cut people off. You're a sinner. Well, so am I. So are you. By the grace of God, we remember to confess our sins to him, repent, and then he cleanses us and we move on. They've forgotten that or they never knew it. How are they gonna learn? You. God wants to use you to come alongside. Those who are weak in their faith need someone who is strong in their faith to be confident that God forgives everything. Everything God forgives. What about the unpardonable sin? That's the person that forgot that God forgives. Jesus paid for it all on the cross. You just have to remember to confess your sins, and then he's faithful and just to forgive. Oh, you're making it too easy, Besser. I didn't make it that way. That's what Jesus said. Now the tough one. Be patient with all. Makaros, thumos is a Greek word. Makaros means far off. Thumos is temper. (laughs) Sounds like it doesn't. Thumos sounds like something related with fire, emotion, anger. Prolonged restraint Hmm. of thumos. Doesn't hastily retaliate. The ability to be inconvenienced. Here's the dictionary. The ability to be inconvenienced or taken advantage of by a person over and over again, and yet not be upset or angry. The person who has the power to avenge himself or herself and yet refrains from exercising that power. (laughs) How you doing with that? (laughs) Golly, God's still working on me on that one. Patience, supernatural power. You can't rev it up from inside. It has to come from back. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the result of the Holy Spirit coming into your life and you and I surrendering to Him. Patience.
0: You're listening to Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. He's been talking about the need for God's patience in the believer's life. God is working in us that He might work through us. It's a loving work, picking up on that very point with part two of today's lesson from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 15. Once again, here's Pastor
1: Ed. And see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, no retaliation, but always pursue what is good both for yourself and for all. This is the definition of love. Always pursue what is good for both yourself and other people. Wish the highest good for the other person. That's a choice. It's not a warm, cuddly feeling. It's a decision to do the best thing for the other person. But it starts out with, don't render evil for evil. Don't pay back evil for evil. And The translation says, do not return evil by exchanging more evil to anyone. It's an imperative, a present imperative, meaning you have to do this over and over again, which is a little helpful. I love the story of the the mom who's working in the kitchen, her four-year-old son and two-year-old daughter are playing together in the next room, and all of a sudden she hears a blood-curdling scream from her son, and she runs in, and the two-year-old little girl has a hold of his hair, and she's pulling for all it's worth, you know, and mom runs over, no, 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 and she peels her little fingers, chubby fingers off, you know. The little boy goes, ah, that hurt, and mom says... She doesn't know that that hurts. She's little, she's only two, you know, play nice. She doesn't know. She walked out of the room before she got two steps, she heard a little girl scream and he runs back in and the boy says, now she knows. <laughs> Comes early, doesn't it? <laughs> Nobody has to teach you. It's easy as breathing, revenge. Always pursue what is good, that's difficult for all. To all men, every person, Paul says, just keep on doing good. Smother them with kindness, (laughs) treating others not how they deserve, someone said. Okay, now we get into the last section. If you've not memorized these verses, I encourage you that you would. Let's just go through the three of them. You'll see the tie. Verse 16 says, rejoice always. Okay, that's impossible. Pray without ceasing. That doesn't seem possible. In everything, give thanks. Those are the three. Again, imperatives, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Whew, go back and look at what that means. Rejoice always. Living Bible, always be joyful. <laughs> at all times, cherish the spirit of joyfulness. Always be joyful. I don't feel like being joyful. It's not a matter of feelings. I can't help how I feel. Yes, you can, it's an attitude. Joy is an attitude, is a choice. It is possible to choose to be joyful even in the midst of the worst possible trials. I'm learning this one still too. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit, like patience. It's something that comes from the inside out. It's the result of having surrendered your life to God. If you haven't surrendered your life to God, this is an impossible list. You can't do it. You can't do it with the power of God living in you, dwelling in you. But when you do surrender, he takes up residence. And he starts to change us from the inside. He takes out a heart of stone, puts in a heart of flesh. This is the new covenant. Takes out the heart of stone, puts in a heart of flesh, puts his spirit in us, writes his law of love on our heart, and causes us to walk in his ways. That's God's promise of the new covenant. It began when Jesus took the cup that night and said, this is my blood of a new covenant. And then it started. So, this is the result of the Holy Spirit being joyful in your life. Rejoice, Paul said to the Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And the peace of God, which transcends understanding, that surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If we will rejoice, God will, in fact, guard our hearts. Okay, how about 17? Pray without ceasing. Never stop praying. How do you do that? It's communicating with God. You can multitask. I see junior hires doing it all the time. They're talking to you while they're texting. (laughs) It's communication. (laughs) It's possible. You can even do three things at once. I've seen it happen. My grandchildren are amazing with it. So while we're doing other things, it is possible to practice the presence of God. If you've never read that book, you should. Brother Lawrence wrote it, old, old Christian book. When you pray, you're forced to slow down. When you pray, you are forced to stop thinking about how weak you are and you start thinking about how strong God is. When I'm forced to pray, then I start thinking about God can do anything. Why am I struggling? By the way, I've learned that when somebody asks me to pray, I have to stop and do it right then. Would you pray for me? Sure. And then I'm a liar because I don't do it, or I forget for 10 weeks or something, it comes back in the middle of the night. So I've learned that when somebody says, will you pray for me? I said, sure, let's pray. And I take their hand and do it right there. I it this week freaked out a doctor at the hospital. Patients walking by, nurses, they'll, they'll think you're praying because that's what we're doing just do it. When somebody says, pray for me, okay, right now. Do it without ceasing at all times over and over again. Luke 18, Jesus describes the the widow who went to a judge, and she was persistent. She kept going back over and over again. And finally, the Lord said, give me legal protection, He was unwilling for a while, but afterwards he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I'll give her her legal protection. lest by continually coming, she wears me out. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. How much more will your heavenly Father? I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And I read that, and I said, wait a minute, that doesn't follow. That last verse doesn't make sense. Jesus was initially not talking about faith. He was talking about persevering in prayer. Why did he switch the question to faith? Because prayer requires faith. That I trust that God is going to answer my request. He's done it so many times, why would I not think so? Great prayer story. Dr. Helen Rosevier is a uh, missionary in Africa. She wrote in her book, a mother at our mission station died after giving birth to a premature baby. We tried to improvise an incubator to keep the infant alive, but the only hot water bottle we had was beyond repair, so we asked the children to pray for the baby and for the baby's little sister. One of the girls responded, Dear God, please send a hot water bottle today. Raul. <laughs> "'Tomorrow will be too late, because by then the baby will be dead. "'Oh, and dear Lord, send a doll for the sister so she won't feel so lonely.'" Nurses looked at one another and went, oh, no. "'That afternoon, a large package arrived from England. "'The children watched eagerly as we opened it. "'Much to their surprise, under some clothing was a hot water bottle.'" Immediately, the girl who had prayed so earnestly started to dig deeper, exclaiming, If God sent that water bottle, I'm sure He also sent a doll. And sure enough, she was right. At the bottom, there was a doll. Five months earlier, God had led a ladies' group in England to include both a water bottle and a doll. How do you know that? Huh. Must be God or something. Verse 18. Last one. In everything. This is the third one. In everything give thanks. Notice it says in everything. It doesn't say for everything give thanks. No, no, in everything. Again, it's a faith issue because I know God is going to make this work. It looks horrible. It looks like an elephant, but it's dinner. (laughs) Just let God turn it into what it's supposed to be. It's an important distinction. But these three things are the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. There it is. The will of God is for you to rejoice always, pray always, and give thanks, be grateful all the time. Hmm. The will of God is not for you to be unsatisfied. So, the will of God is not pursuing earthly pleasures? No. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Get focused on Him. Focus your life on these things, praying, rejoicing, and giving thanks. Okay, close this with a true story. I was reading a book about a British evangelist, an interesting guy from the last century, turn of the last century. His name was Smith, Rodney Smith, but they call him Gypsy Smith because he was a gypsy who got radically saved. And he ended up leading tens of thousands of people to Christ. But he was walking through the streets of Edinburgh, Scotland, And a little girl came up to him and tugged on his sleeve. And he said he turned and looked down. And he said, yes. And he saw a little girl in rags with dirty hands and a little package wrapped in dirty paper. And he said, what is it? She said, I want to give this to you. And he said, well, well, what is it? And she said, it's my candy. He said, well, why do you want to give it to me? As he took it, she said... I want you to have my candy because we have a new daddy at home. He was never sober, but these last few weeks he has been sober because he sat in your meeting last month, and now he's so wonderful at home, I needed to thank you. Gypsy Smith uh, took the candy and prayed for the family, but he told this story true story, of a group of gypsies that were forced across a swollen stream. Several men drowned because none of them could swim. One young man made a desperate attempt to save his mother, who kept clinging to him. Several times he he pushed her away, saying, let go, mother, and I can save you. But she would not heed him, and she was lost. At the funeral, the son stood at his mother's grave and said over and over, how hard I tried to save you, mother. But you wouldn't let me, Smith concludes with, these are the tragic words that we shall hear Jesus say to many in eternity one day. How hard I tried to save you, but you wouldn't let me. Your will was a great hindrance. God's will is that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. If you haven't, don't leave this morning until you do.
0: Pastor Ed Ray is our Bible teacher here on Grow in Grace, and we're studying 1st and 2nd Thessalonians right now on the weekends. Get today's study on CD by calling us toll-free at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. You can also listen to the program online at thepackinghouse.org. And again, we're at thepackinghouse.org. We don't like to make a big deal about it, but we are listener-supported ministry. And for those of you that sense God is calling you to take part in the ministry through a financial gift, we'd like to say thanks by sending you Jesus Style by Gail Irwin. When Jesus taught us that the greatest must become like a servant, what was he driving at? Well, we find the answer by studying the life of Jesus and his style of ministry. It's totally opposite to our natural leanings, so we'll need some help. Receive a copy of Jesus Style today, and again, we'll send it your way for a gift of any amount to grow in grace. Give us a call at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. We're always touched when we hear about the great things God is doing through this radio ministry. And if you're growing in grace as you study alongside with us, would you mind shooting us an email today? Our email address is packinghouseradio at aol.com. Packinghouseradio at aol.com. And then join us back here next time for Grow in Grace as we return to our studies in the New Testament. In the meantime, let's keep looking to Jesus as we grow in grace. I all now filled with hands and in this place gotta dwell with man Sick be healed and the cripple standing singing hallelujah My kingdom built with the blood of my son Selfless sacrifice for everyone Faith, hope, love and harmony I said let this world know me by your love